appreciate the reading by Nolan. Appreciate him participating, and he does a good job in the reading of the scriptures and the other acts that he involves in when he works with us. In Doug's prayer this morning, he mentioned about our country needing to go back to a time when it was more God-fearing. And I was thinking that ties in so well with the lesson this morning as well. You wonder how God deals with us. Thinking about his limitless grace Paul in Ephesians 1 and verse 4 talks about God's plan for redemption before the foundation of the world. And there's no way for us to comprehend eternity. So there's no way for us to know How long in this eternity, since there is no time, God planned to redeem man. And I think about that concept. Before he ever created the world, and before he ever created man, he already knew man would need redemption. And he planned for that. And in that plan, he also knew out of Matthew seven thirteen and 14 that the majority of the people would not accept his plan. Knowing the consequence, they would not accept his plan. Before the creation of the world and the creation of man, he already knew what Paul would describe for us in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through the remainder of the chapter. that the Gentiles would not retain God in their knowledge. And three times in that reading, it would mention that God gave them up. Knowing that, before he ever created the world, and yet he created the world, His limited grace, and yet how few would accept it. How few would accept it. 
even of those who had heard the gospel, received it, obeyed it, followed it, and then went back into the world. How few there are that will be saved. But that grace God had already extended before the foundation of the world. His depths of his love and his willingness to work with us. Been reading a interesting book on grace. Usually called the Bible. Tremendous thoughts in that. I read as this book begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I read of all the creation and come down to verse 31. And God saw that everything he had made was very good. Second chapter in the creation. With his creation of Adam and Eve. The charge that he had given to them. His limited grace. And then you see in chapter 3, the transgression. But listening to another voice, and God already knew that. He had already planned it before he formed the earth, that man would need redemption. His grace had already been extended. But that humans would choose to listen to another voice and disobey God. You see the grace even into chapter 3. Cain and Abel. Abel or Cain offering a sacrifice that was not acceptable to God. But God in his grace had told Cain, if you do what is right, he had already disobeyed God. He had already transgressed the law of God. But if you do what is right, you will be accepted. Marvelous grace, infinite grace. But Cain chose not to accept it. God knew even before he had formed the earth what would happen in Genesis 6. How quickly man walked away from God. Every thought of man was on evil continually. But Noah found what? Found grace in the eyes of God. That unlimited ability. To extend, to extend unmerited favor 
towards human beings is beyond our comprehension. How many times, time and time and time and time and time again, would God extend and continually hold out his grace to those who have been created in his own image and after his own likeness. How he would deal with us down through time. Paul would remind us as he was writing to the Romans. In that first chapter. That verse we know so well in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greeks. That there would be no barriers from humanity to the acceptance of God's grace. Paul is writing to those of a Roman background. He had been a Jew before his conversion. And even during their history of the Jews in that city of Jerusalem where God had caused his name to dwell where the tabernacle was and it was David who was not satisfied with a, the house of God dwelling in a tent and he would dwell in a house of cedar he wasn't willing to reverse the order he wanted his house of cedar so he felt he needed to build a house of cedar for God but he wouldn't finish it, Solomon would. Magnificent temple in Jerusalem. It was for the Jews. Oh, they had a court for the Gentiles, the God-fearing Gentiles. But they didn't have access to the temple per se. And there is still a sign on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem today signifying that division between the Jew and the Gentile. Not knowing exactly where the Temple Mount was or where the Holy of Holies was. We know where the Temple Mount was, but not where the Holy of Holies was. There is a sign. Do not go beyond this point on the threat of death. It was to keep the Gentiles 
the Jew as well, but it's to keep the Gentiles from not knowing farther than that. And for the Jew, it was to keep the Jew from saying, don't go beyond this because you do not know where the Holy of Holies was and you're not supposed to be there. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentiles. God, in his love and his mercy, patiently bore with us through all of this time of man misunderstanding this nature of God. And again, that he would choose Paul to be this messenger to the Gentiles. The one that you read, uh, read about in Acts 8 and in Acts 9, the first two verses about each chapter. Paul breathing out threatening and slaughters against the church. Bent on its destruction. But he would be one who would go to the Gentiles. This Jew of Jews, beyond comparison as a Jew, will also have that co-worker, Titus, who was a Gentile, but having to work with it. The gospel was for all. You read in Philippians 4, in verse 22, that there were saints in Caesar's household that sent greetings. Saints in Caesar's household. The scriptures had no boundary. The gospel has no boundaries. Man at times had placed them there. And the scriptures are given to us to remind us that that's not the case. You read in Acts 26, verse 27 and 28. King Agrippa, hearing Paul, making that statement, All thou, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost, those sad, sad words. But in God's limited grace, and in God's time frame, he has always given man that opportunity. Paul's statement to Agrippa, except for these chains, I wish you were exactly like I am. I wish you understood what it means to have forgiveness of sins washed away. We'll look as well in a moment. You think about that. Forgiveness of sins washed away. Regardless of how many times you have sinned, on each confession of those sins, they are washed away and they are remembered by God no more. Limited grace. 
that he's bestowed upon us. Peter, one of the three that were very close to Jesus, one of the three that went up on the mount of what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, to see Jesus change before the very eyes, to have a concept of who he was, more than they had really realized, I guess. And yet how he had to struggle with going to the house of Cornelius, a, a, a Jew, a centurion, a Roman soldier, to share the gospel with him. That even the Jews who were converted. And as persecution arose, in Acts 8 it reminds us that they were scattered abroad and they went everywhere preaching the word. But a little bit later we we're reminded that they had only gone to the Jews. Even after Peter going to Cornelius, God's limited grace, how he bore with us and bore with them and he bears with us, continues to bear with us even knowing there are those who have sat here who have walked away from the truth of God's word And it would be hard to conceive or even want to consider that there are those that are sitting here or standing here that could walk away from that marvelous grace of God that's unlimited. And God still bears with us Look how he bears with us in Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. How often should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times. The Lord says, nay, not up to seven times, but 70 times seven. You forgive. That's the characteristic of God, is it not? He planned your redemption before this world ever began. And he's willing to forgive you umpteen times. And with each confession, each repentance, that blood of Christ washes away those sins and they are remembered no more by God. He already knew that before the foundation of the world. And this unlimited grace bears with you each day that you live. His love is so intense and so deep 
But his desire is that that not any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he'll bear with us. Peter had problems trying to bear seven times, and the Lord said, no, 70 times seven. And we've teased about it, I've teased about it, and said, well, when Pat done something wrong, that's 491. Don't have to forgive. I could never imagine God doing that. Can you? And he reached a point and says, that's it. But I am reminded of Romans 1, 24, 26, and 28. God gave them up, the Gentiles. God gave them up. They chose not to follow. But with that child of God, with each confession, the sin is washed away and remembered no more. There is no 491 times with God for his child. Never. That grace is there each and every time. We acknowledge him and turn to him. Next example is found in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 17. And in verse 4. Your brother comes up to you seven times in a day. And seven times in a day he says, I've sinned and I repent. You forgive. Human nature says, no way. We're flesh and blood, and that enters into our life, whether we like to want, want to admit it or not. And we struggle seven times in a day. I've sinned. Forgive me. And it's granted. Unlimited grace that God extends to us. Regardless of how many times, 70 times 7, regardless of how many times in a day, forgiveness is granted. God knew that before he laid the foundation of the world. We remember that as we gather around the table. What makes that possible? The depths of the love of Christ the willingness to die for those who would spat upon him, for those who would mock him, those who would beat him, and those who would hang him on a cross. And then us being reminded that it's our sins that put him on that cross. And his grace is extended. until the end of time. His infinite grace, his unlimited grace, is seen in what we call the Lord's body. How he bears with us, encouraging us to work together, encouraging us to be reminded of who we are. We're a part, we are a member of one body. And no one stands alone. 
No one stands isolated from the body. No one is without purpose. No one is without a function. And no one is without the deep love of God in their life. Regardless of how insignificant we may see ourselves, regardless of how insignificant others may want to look at us, we are beyond value in the eyes of God. He gave his son to die for us. You see, the unlimited grace of God in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, as the letter is being written to those seven churches, and reminding yourselves that these are the churches, these are the body of Christ. And as you read Revelation 2 and 3, without a doubt, you see the imperfection. You see the weakness. You see the struggle. And yet that grace of God is still there. I know you. I know who you are. I know what you have done. I know what you're doing. And I'm pleading with you. Repent. Change. My grace is there, but you need to change. My love is there, but you need to change. You need to do what's right before that candlestick will be removed. Patience. Grace. Long-suffering of God. Knowing that before he ever created us, Oh, the depths of God's love. Oh, the mercy that he has extended. And the grace that he extends to us. No way for us to fully understand it. It's there for us to receive it. For us to rejoice in it. For us to be glad in it. And for us to be humbled by it. God so loved, and insert your name, that he gave his only begotten son to die for you. So what? What's the purpose? How many are going to be in heaven? Only God knows. How many are going to be in heaven out of the multitudes and multitudes of people who have existed on this earth? We're already told that the majority will not accept the gospel. We're already told that the majority will go to the one whom they have listened to and obeyed, Satan and hell. That there's only a few 
that will find that way to heaven. But God in his unlimited grace has prepared heaven to receive you. Jesus in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. What grace. What grace he's extended to us. Striving to do his will and falling short. Repenting and confessing, coming back, doing his will. Striving to do his will, confessing, repenting, or uh, sinning, confessing, repenting. Over and over and over again. Far beyond 490. Far beyond seven times in a day. Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more, says the Lord. Hebrews 10 and 17. Verse 18 reminds us that once a sacrifice has been made, that's it. There is no more sacrifice. There is only one sacrifice. That is the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of the depth of his love and the grace that he extends, he did that before he found or he formed the world. That's his love for you. That's how deep it is. The question would be, what is our response to what he's done for us? What are we doing with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What are we doing with the grace that he's extended to us? What type of life are we living? Live for Jesus. Oh, my my brother, his disciple ever be. That's our challenge. And understand that as you accept that challenge, that his limitless grace will be with you each step of the way. If you need to make a change in your life, if we could assist you, if we could help you in that decision, indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.